0: Hi, this is Jay Billis of ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter.
1: The ML Sports Platter is back with you all over the major platforms like Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Deezer, you name it. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. That stuff does go an awfully long way. We are presented by Stanley Law Offices, Bryant & Stratton College, and Brian Comboy of Mass Mutual New York State Tax-Efficient Retirement Planning Today with Brian. Go with them. advisors.massmutual.com. You could be sending a youngster off to college or planning your own retirement, and there's nobody better to go with than Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual in New York State. He can get your financial future in order. We're super, really, really super happy about uh, where we're going with Brian and what he was able to do for us. Uh, Opened our eyes to some new ideas as well that we just didn't think about. So, make sure you lean on Brian Conboy on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and of course, You can get them at advisors.massmutual.com. Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State, the official financial advisor of the ML Sports Platter. So, here's the thing. I want to get into, before I bring in Will Leach, the amazing amazing journalist, uh, an author of a new novel called How Lucky. Um, and you probably know him from uh, Deadspin. He was a founding editor there as well. He's just—he's huge. He's big time. Um, I'm going to bring him on to talk about the book and his career and some different cool topics. But I want to start with the Aaron Rodgers stuff, the saga of, 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 of Aaron Rodgers, because I just think... Aaron Rodgers is maybe being a little bit of a crybaby here. Here's a guy who wants the Green Bay Packers to do everything he says, right? He wants more weapons. He got mad that they drafted Jordan Love in the NFL draft last year when Aaron Rodgers, in his mid to th- you know mid thirties going into upper thi- thirty six years old going into his upper thirties granted we know he probably has three to five years of great football left at least look at brady um look at the rules everything is tailored towards the quarterback there's no doubt about it but he was also kind of diving down a little bit right he was like on a on a on a on a i think a regressive uh trajectory um and so, I think that there's there's no doubt that, that Aaron Rodgers, the proof was in the pudding that the Packers have to look at somebody. I think the issue, of course, was the communication, and I guess from that standpoint, I'm probably on Rodgers' side. I mean, Tampa Bay, you know, Jason Light, the general manager, and and... You know, Bruce Arians have gone on multiple shows confirming that, you know, hey, yeah, we, we took a quarterback, but but you know what? Like, we told Tom. Like, we 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 talked about this with, with Tom Brady, right? Like, we didn't just grab this guy and, by the way, even if they did grab him and didn't talk to him, I don't even know if Brady would be offended by it, uh, A. And then, B, I think Brady would know, right, that... They took this quarterback for the long term, not the short term, considering that they're coming off a Super Bowl championship and Tom Brady's still playing at a high level. And oh, by the way, they just signed Tom Brady to an extension. So when you look at Kyle Trask out of Florida, who was taken in the second round, I don't think even if Brady wasn't told, I think you would still think the situation is, hey, you know, I'm the guy. I just signed an extension, right? This is clearly for the long term. I don't even need to ask and let's all move on. I'm sure he would view it that way. Rogers doesn't view it that way because Rogers is kind of a prima donna and Rogers loves drama and Rogers loves the long drawn out plot scenes, right? Like he does. He loves to host jeopardy and have that in his back pocket as well. Now, that was a personal interest of his. Alex Trebek was his idol. Um, loved the show growing up. Blah, blah, blah. So there's some personal interest in there. There's some passion in there that's equal to football. But he's also using it sort of. Be like, hey, and I, I can make $30 million doing this. Hosting Jeopardy. 71 days a year is all I need to do this. I don't even need you, Packers. I ain't coming back. Do I think he'll play football in 2021? I do. Um, I think that... He's just got obviously he's a competitor, right? I mean, number one. Um, but I think something will work itself out. I, I don't know what, but you know, I don't know if it'll be Rogers, you know, figuring it out. I don't know if it'll be the Packers going to him and saying, "Hey, here's what we're going to do for you." You know, the number one reason why I think Aaron Rodgers though is is kind of being a crybaby here right is his big thing is he doesn't think he's been treated fairly as far as a supporting cast for this packer team to which i'm going you've got to be kidding me you have got to be kidding me and i say that because donald driver ring a bell Devontae Adams, currently, arguably, the best receiver in the NFL. I'd put him at number one, right? Jordy Nelson. You know, Aaron Jones, a guy who has potential to go for 1,000 to 1,500 yards rushing every single year. Really good threat out of the backfield. He's had stout offensive lines. Corey Lindsley, no relation, by the way. Corey Lindsley was there as an offensive tackle, as a center, for seven years, right? 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, seven seasons. Aaron Rodgers had one of the best centers in the NFL, (laughs) you know, and he just obviously signed with the Chargers, but he was there um, with Green Bay. Not many people have a center that quality, as, as Corey Lindsley. I mean, he was really, really good for them, and he was supposed to be a backup center, but because J.C. Treader got hurt late in the preseason in 2014, he came in and started, and he just held the position. He started every game during the regular season as well as two playoff games. Uh, he hung in there. He battled through some injuries. He signed a three-year extension in Green Bay. They committed to him. They committed to keeping the offensive line, you know the way they the way they needed in order to to get, you know, Aaron Rodgers the protection he needs and, and and I don't know. I mean, I I look at a lot of the weapons around the NFL. I mean, Aaron Rodgers wants more. Well, what do you want? Do you want Kansas City's offense? Because nobody has Kansas City's offense. <laughs> like do you want the Bills' offense? Okay, like you're not that far away from that. You know, you were one win away from the Super Bowl last year and some bad decision making. Oh, by the way, on Rodgers's part and on Matt LaFleur's part, clearly, of course. Um, you know, if that, that prevented them from going to Tampa and playing in the Super Bowl, Matt LaFleur sure should have gone for it, should have been more aggressive, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but Aaron Rodgers also had a wide open lane to run it in for a touchdown. You know, he blew it on second down. He blew it on third down, right? And so I just look at this situation like, what do you want that you don't have? You have a number one wide receiver. You have an offensive-minded head coach. Like, they got rid of your other bland head coach who won a Super Bowl and Mike McCarthy because things were getting too stale, and I agreed with that move, by the way. You know, they went out and got Matt LaFleur. Oh, well they, you didn't you didn't consult me enough on the hiring of Matt LaFleur. Okay. So there's the other complaint, right? Now, should the Packers have gone to Aaron Rodgers and made sure that he was happy with this? I mean, maybe probably but the positive of it is that and he knew a little bit. They just didn't deep dive enough when they were recruiting head coaches. He wasn't in, you know, he wasn't in the loop as much as he wanted to be. And then Aaron Rodgers also you know fails to recognize when Green Bay does a positive, and They hire an offensive-minded head coach in Matt Lafleur. That doesn't even get talked about. They didn't go out and get a defensive mind, right? They went out and got an offensive mind. And if it was so bad, then why is Aaron Rodgers putting up all these numbers? Why is the system working like basically a freaking football locomotive, right? I mean, what does he want? Does he want Tom Brady's offense? I would argue offensive weapons. I would argue that Aaron Rodgers' weapons are better. I would. Um, Gronkowski, obviously getting up there in age, but he's a big stage player. You know, he, he you, you knew he was going to do something in the Super Bowl. But, like, the overall 17-game season right now, I mean, you have to kind of get used to saying that, right? Not 16-game, but 17-game. Like, you you have a guy who doesn't have the production that he had over the long haul, and he gives it to you in spurts. Okay, Godwin's pretty good. Mike Evans is pretty good, but they're both not as good as Devontae Adams. And I don't think as two receivers to two receivers, again, football's a team game. Tampa beat Green Bay with a lot of really good defense as well. Like I might argue I would take Devontae Adams and Velda's Scanling over at least twenty to twenty-five teams in the NFL, their ones and twos. Right? Like if you take a one and a two, here's your number one receiver, here's your number two receiver, stack them up against everybody in the NFL. Or your number one option, number two option if they play different positions, right? What team is ahead of Green Bay in that regard? What team? KC, Tyree Kill, and Travis Kelsey? Okay. Are the Bills? I don't... You can argue it. Diggs and Beasley. Again, a lot you know happens from the system and the quarterback and the offensive coordinator and all that. But both of these teams put up monster numbers last year. Two of the top three efficient offenses you know, two of the top four off, uh, efficient offenses in the NFL. Like, you can argue easily that that Adams and and Scantling are, are better than, than Diggs and Beasley. You can argue that for sure. I'm not going to Seattle. DK Metcalf's really good, but I don't think Lockett or anybody else is as good as Adams and Scantling for sure. I'm not going to Indy. I'm not going to Baltimore. I'm not going to uh, Cleveland has some players. I, I wouldn't go there. Uh, Am I going to go to to Arizona? Maybe. DeAndre Hopkins and plug in number two? You know, I mean, that that number two certainly could change really, really fast this year, especially, you know, from the draft in terms of getting Rondell Moore out of Purdue if he ends up being a major star right away. But he's a rookie, right? He's not going to come in and just blow the doors down. He might, but... You know, to come in and have like a 1,200-yard season, let's say, right? I mean, you don't see it. It's just absolutely amazing to me that Aaron Rodgers continues to cry about supporting cast in, in, in all this. It, 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 it's It's getting old. It's ridiculous. You've had Jordy Nelson. You've had Corey Lindsley, the center for seven years of cohesion and chemistry. You've had Donald Driver. You've had Devontae Adams. You have Valdez Scantling. They just signed Aaron Jones long term, right? They've gotten a ground game. They've gotten pieces in the backfield and shored up an offensive line. I think they've had probably a, a good enough. Defense for the most part to 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 get to another Super Bowl. I, I think the play calling and the coaching really failed them in 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 the Tampa game, especially at the end of the first half. You can't give up that that touchdown late like that. Um, that was more of a coaching, like you know, leaving somebody on an island. I, I you, you can't use single coverage like that. I mean, come on, like who does that? You can't do that. Um, <clears throat> so. I just I look at a lot of the other teams in the NFL. I look at I look at weapons across the board. I mean, where where, where am I going to go? Like where am I going to go to Dallas? You know, Amari Cooper and who? Am I going to go to New Orleans, Michael Thomas and fill in the blank? I'd still take the guys in Green Bay as as the the top 2, you know? I really would. I'm not going to to Yeah, I mean, the Rams, am I going to go with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup? I'm still going with the guys in Green Bay. Not going to Minnesota. I like Jefferson, but the number two is who, again, go back, I take Green Bay. You know, Allen Robinson, really good. Who's the number two? I take Green Bay. You know, Chicago, you got the Giants. Galladay and company, they go out and get Tony in the draft, still take Green Bay. I mean, you go one after the other after the other, the only couple of teams that are at the top with the top two offensive weapons of choice and or number one and number two wideouts, it's pretty much Kansas City and Buffalo. Maybe Atlanta with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. You could probably argue him. I mean, Julio is still very productive, but I don't think he's as good as Devontae Adams right now. I think Devontae Adams is superior as far as route running i think he has better hands and again we're splitting hairs because i think both these guys are going to the hall of fame um but you know what does aaron rodgers want you know how many how many quarterbacks have what he's complaining about he's complaining about not having enough weapons he's complaining he wants more added to what he has who has that who has what Aaron Rodgers has, and then more coming in? And by the way, if his weapons were so bad, and this is the final thought on this, if 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 his weapons are so bad, then why 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 is Aaron Rodgers the MVP? <laughs> right? I mean, honestly. Why is Aaron Rodgers the MVP? Why is he putting up all the why is he putting up all the numbers? Why is he putting up, you know, the, the touchdowns and the yards and, and all the rest? Why why do you win the MVP? Right? You have to you have to put up monster crazy great numbers in order to win an MVP, don't you? <laughs> Without a doubt. You have to you have to put up those numbers to get an MVP. Aaron Rodgers did that. I mean, what did he do? Did he do it to him? Did, did he throw the ball to himself? Did he throw the ball 60 yards down the field and then Aaron Rod like Aaron Rodgers threw a pass to Aaron Rodgers? Were, did we miss all the games in another football galaxy? <laughs> did Aaron Rodgers run the football for 1,000 yards? I'm sorry, did we all miss something, Aaron Rodgers? No, you were throwing the ball to Devontae Adams. You had A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones in the backfield as a two-headed monster. You had Valdez Scantling. You had Corey Lindsley blocking for you and being one of the best centers in the NFL. You had a really, really good offensive line. You won 13 games. You were one game away from the Super Bowl. And all this guy does is complain about not having enough. And it's absolutely, positively annoying as all hell. I mean, right? Like it, it's just it's getting it's just getting absolutely, positively ridiculous with this guy and his complaining. The ML Sports Platter is brought to you by Ken's Auto Detailing, Liverpool Physical Therapy, Camillus Golf Club, and our great, great friends over at Stanley Law Offices. Together, they'll work to get you the maximum award. I am so thrilled to bring on to the program uh one of the best journalists out there. One of the best uh, in the business. He's a founding editor of Gawker Media, former, uh, uh, formerly of Deadspin, a founding editor there as well. Uh, national correspondent for MLB.com. That's where I get him a lot. I listen to him all the time on the um, podcast with Richard Justice and Anthony Vince, a contributing editor at New York and a critic. Uh, for multiple platforms and a contributor as well, New York Times, GQ, The Washington Post, NBC News. And he has published four books, and the most recent one is called How Lucky, a Novel. We're going to get into that and a lot more with the terrific writer, the terrific contributor, the amazing author, Will Leach, on Twitter as well, at William F. Leach. Will, how are you? Welcome aboard. This is great.
0: I'm very well. Thank you. It's uh, it is beautiful outside. Everyone's taking their masks off. I feel like the world is uh, starting to, the baseball's happening. The Cardinals are in first place. I feel like the world's a good a good place right
1: now. There you go. Well, yeah, we're all excited to, to have a normal summer, hopefully here, and get past all this. And you uh, have uh, come out with a, another book. I think this is your fourth, right? And um, it's How Lucky. It's a novel, and it's... Stephen King says it's a fantastic novel. You are going to like this a lot. Uh, dive into it here. Give us a deep dive in, in the nuts and bolts of it.
0: Yeah, so it's it's, it's a novel, and it's, it's a... It's a man named Daniel. He's uh, 26 years old. He has a actually has a disease called spinal muscular atrophy, which is uh, a shorthand way of putting it's uh, it's almost like ALS but for kids. But and so he's actually kind of at the end of like near the end of his life. Actually, this is uh, a is a disease that my son's best friend has. So I've done a lot of research into it. And basically, it's almost like a rear window sort of book where he witnesses what he believes might be a crime or might be an abduction, and tries to kind of investigate it with his friend and his caregiver, but he also, like, not only is he, does he have this disease, like, he is unable to move, He's in a, he, mo- he uses a wheelchair, he can only come to move his left hand, he can't speak, so the challenges inherently that come into him to try to figure this out, but also... Kind of learning about his life and kind of his view of the world I think it's one of those books where hopefully uh, during uh, particularly after a difficult time it's a I hopefully it's a it's a book that makes you feel good it's an optimistic book it's a he's very optimistic and hopeful about the world kind of despite his condition so that's the idea it takes place in Athens Georgia so there are sports things I, I was not going to put a book in Athens Georgia and have it take place over the span of one week and not have it be during a game week so there's lots of college football and lots of tailgating and hopefully, hopefully it's 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 a fun read for people.
1: Yeah, what do you hope people say when they get done reading it?
0: I want them to feel okay. good. To be honest, I, I, I you know this is there are some you know some scary things that happen in the book, and I think there's a, a you know Daniel is a. Uh, to me, he's this incredibly optimistic, hopeful character where who has gone through so much uh, and, and kind of gone through pain and gone through difficulties. But he actually genuinely believes in the goodness of people and that people are all right. And uh, I don't know about you or your listeners, but uh, there have been times I've needed a reminder of that over the last year or two. So uh, I think that uh, I, hopefully it's a, it's a positive. book. It's, it's a quick read, uh, but hopefully people will uh, get a lot out of it.
1: Major bookstores, Amazon.com, online where books are sold. Go get it. It's called How Lucky Will Leach, the author, the terrific columnist, author, insider, the Deadspin founder as well here on the ML Sports Platter, uh, talking about this book. Do you, do you prefer when you write a book, fiction or nonfiction? Is, is there one that you, you, you're kind of more of a magnet to, Will?
0: You know, I, I've, I've written nonfiction books in the past, and this, you know, this one I just kind of wrote unsolicited. It was a novel I wanted to try out. And at first, I thought it would be easy, right? Because, you know, I've been working in journalism for so long. I'm like, great, I am the God of this world. I can make these people do whatever I want and move them from place to place. I, I can't do that when, I, when I'm doing my journalism. Unfortunately, I've discovered that. You know, in journalism and when you're doing nonfiction, if someone does something irrational, when you write about it, does something irrational or unusual or illogical, we all just kind of shrug and be like, yep, been a long year. People do strange stuff all the time. But uh, in, in fiction – everything's got to have backup, and everything's got to have a resolution, everything's got to have like a a firm logic behind it. So uh, I actually found doing fiction more rigorous, actually, than journalism, which is scary, because I feel like my journalism is pretty rigorous. So apparently, if you ever wondered if there was truth to the axiom, truth is is stranger than fiction. It's definitely true, because people will believe things that are true a lot more than they will believe things that are false.
1: And this is actually, I correct myself, this is your fifth book. Um, So as you've gone on through through time, can can you do you ever go back to the beginning when you wrote your first one with the sort of the you know being on edge and not knowing how to approach it maybe or uh, some of the challenges then that that maybe you you don't have now because of experience? Do you ever go back to to, to before the first one was even written?
0: Yeah, I'm afraid to look at those first ones. Some of those were written a long time ago. Uh, I will say that, uh, you know, this is my this is my fifth book. It's actually my first book in about 10 years wow. now. For that, I blame my children. They, have, they require a lot of effort. Yeah, they're
1: a lot of work, so aren't they?
0: They really are. So uh, now, now I can put them in a room, and I feel like they will not set it on fire if I leave it. <laughs> and so, therefore, I can actually sit down and, and write a book. But I will say that the, you know, the industry itself has obviously changed a lot in that time. But, you know, one thing that's that's helpful for me is I just I, I'm more confident in my voice now. I think anyone when they're younger, they feel like they're trying to go out and prove themselves to everyone. And this is what I could do. Look what I could do. And I'm a serious person. And now, you know, I mean, I, I, well, I lived in New York City for 13 years. I moved to Athens, Georgia, where the book is said, uh, about eight years ago. And I found, generally speaking, that has helped my writing because I'm frankly hanging out with fewer people that work in the media mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love the media and I love, and I love my work. And every time I go visit my friends that work in media, I love talking about it and digging deep into it. But I also think some perspective uh, helps. And I would say that, you know, he, I, I, when I'm in New York. Everyone's like, Oh, did you work for that publication? How's that publication? Did you like that editor? And here they're like, Wow, you met Kevin Durant once. That's amazing. And I think that it's really like they're right, and the media people are wrong. Like, like it really gives you a better perspective on like you know what what you do is not that important. You're just trying to provide like entertainment and enlightenment, the perspective to people. And uh, and I think it's made me a better writer, kind of getting out of that maelstrom a little bit.
1: Go get it online where books are sold. Major bookstores. It's called How Lucky, a, a novel by the terrific writer and author. Will Leach, he's on Twitter, at William F. Leach as well, a columnist for Major League Baseball. We'll get into that in a little bit here uh, as well, MLB.com. and I've been a fan listening to you and, and, and reading you for a long time, covering the game of baseball. Before, before I get to the baseball part and, and maybe another one or two on the book, why has Deadspin worked?
0: Well, I think I, – I, I'm not sure it works as well now, now that they've got a, a different crew running it. But I think that uh, uh, one of the reasons that Deadspin, I think now Defector, I think, which is the former Deadspin staff, I think one of the reasons that it has always worked is you know, two reasons. One, I think that they have taken sports as a whole rather than like – you know, listen, when you work in sports – Either whether you're a beat reporter covering the football team or you're a columnist or you're an editor or, you, or you're, you're, you're a sideline reporter, you inevitably worry about like other media people, and you worry about kind of your niche, right? Mm-hmm. You worry about okay, okay, I have to know this team really well, and so I just focus on this thing. Or you worry about the media industry at large. So I think one of the advantages that Deadspin and now Defector have always had is they're just like they're they're, they're outside of it. Like they they don't have contracts with teams. They don't have they're they're, they're able to actually cover sports as sports not as part of this like global entertainment complex and i think there's a lot of really good reporters at espn to be clear but it's you know it's difficult by by nature to to for espn to truly write like in an unsparing way about the nfl because they are massive business partners with the NFL. And there's just a ceiling of stuff they're just not going to go to. It doesn't mean there's not good reporters there. They don't do good work. It just means that, like, there's a need for that truly kind of holistic outsider voice that I think that that Deadspin uh, and I think now defect are... are and, and not just them. There's other sites that do this. But kind of those two. I think that's one of the things that they've really been able to benefit from is to be able to look at sports in a macro sense. You so know, in the early days of Deadspin, it really kind of blew people away that Deadspin would report on, like, you know, ESPN personalities and things and, like, an actual news, the stuff that would happen with them. And I always found that strange because, I mean, I noticed very quickly when I was doing Deadspin that, like, a lot more people knew who Chris Berman was than, like, the shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays. And so it felt very weird to say, oh, we're not going to write about this stuff, but we'll write about this stuff. You know, I, I the, whole, the whole idea was there was a disconnect between the people that worked in sports and the people that – you know, the fans, the consumers, the people that pay for everything. So that was always the idea. And I think it's something that they do uh, continually uh, pretty well today.
1: Modern media is wild. I mean, we have a million channels, the internet, social media. Uh, some people didn't go into media, didn't major in journalism, didn't do it the traditional way. And they are 18, 19, and they can be in media because they can just go on and just do reps, by a microphone and, buy a wave file system and do a podcast and record videos and just get reps and in a couple of years be really, really good, probably. Um, modern media today, the way it is, how we cover it, journalists, whether it's news, politics, sports, whatever, what do you like the most about modern media and what do you hate the most?
0: You know, I think what I like the most is is the opening up for new voices. Uh, certainly there was a very closed system, and frankly a closed system that very much benefited uh, white white men uh, for a long time, where there were uh, you either had to go through this channel, and if you didn't go through that channel, there was no way for you to succeed. You know, I think one of the great things is, you know, there are so many voices now, but that means you can hear voices that were unable to be heard before. And I think that has improved generally, uh, the coverage of a lot of issues that I think were just ignored in the past because they were just blind spots for people. And now to hear, to hear all these, uh, not just new voices, but voices that frankly had been ignored or silenced even in the past. To me, that I think it's made covered. I understand sports and I understand, uh, the, the background stuff. I would have just not understood 20 years ago. I think that's an unquestioned, uh, positive that I think really should not be overlooked because I, I think we forget that because social media can kind of wear us down. But, like, in a lot of ways, more voices are good. But the problem is, of course, figuring out how to filter them. And I would say my frustration sometimes is I feel obliged to remind people, and I am on Twitter, we are on Twitter, we are in the media, we use Twitter. But, like, at a certain level, most – in fact, the vast majority of people in this country – do not use Twitter and do not actually look at it all the time. And because there's something with the personality of a person, myself included, who works in media, you like you want to know what the news is all the time. You want to know what's going on. You're addicted you to find out what's happening. What's the news? What's the news? What's the news? It becomes Twitter becomes less like a portal or like a like a portals. I, I feel like the like Twitter should be used more like a police scanner, but it's kind of being used as like the editor and the assigning editor for a lot of media people. And I think. It gets lost a little bit that Twitter is important. It is undeniably important, but it should not be the assigning editor, and I think there's this idea that somehow if someone said something on Twitter, well, this must be a story, and it ends up like all kind of compiling on itself, and you end up having – stories that are about nothing and like things that are, that people are not actually talking about or not actually big deals at all, but they feel like they can click or they, or like reporters feel like they'll get more likes, retweets or something or more engagement. And, and it turns it into frankly, what the kind of exhausting thing that we have now, where getting actual news and actual reporting is incredibly difficult. It's still there. You just have to sift through so much other stuff to get there. And I think that can be pretty frustrating.
1: You put in, obviously, a lot of work covering Major League Baseball as well, MLB.com, um, just awesome work across the board. Uh, where are you at with the game today? Are you, are you still into it as much as you used to be? I mean, this, this overpowering of analytics, it's home run, strike, or walk, the game takes forever, pace of play, there aren't really many great teams anymore, everybody seems to be just around 500 or a few games over. Uh, is the game enjoyable to you, and and do you think it's in trouble long term? Uh, I
0: don't. The, the The game is definitely enjoyable to me, but I'm an easy mark. Like I, I truly love baseball, and it, it, the the game could. Like I'm one of those people that like I'm sorry. There's nothing else I'd rather do than watch a baseball game. So I don't care if they're long. But I understand that 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 is not always necessarily the the overarching uh, everyone's viewpoint. I would say, however, I always beware a little bit. Like baseball has been in trouble since I've been alive. There has just literally been never been a time where there is not where baseball has not been like even the times that we think of the boom times of baseball where things or like the, we think of the golden age everyone was complaining about baseball all the time. This is one of the things that, but this is not to say that baseball does not think have things that need to be fixed. I think the three true, the three true outcomes thing is a definite issue. Uh, the length of games, I think, is part of the show. I think pace of play is really well. Just the fact that there seems to be a lot of time where there's a lot of sitting around. And you don't want to take away too much of that because you lose kind of the the like the cerebral nature of the game. But you also want to make sure there's a lot of action. So I understand there are issues to be resolved. But I also am just wary of – like one of the things I love about baseball, one of the things I think, I, I think baseball is always going to have as an advantage, is this thing. People that, use, that love baseball or have loved baseball love it deeply and they're hesitant of change but they all there's this weird dichotomy of like they're very suspicious of any sort of change but they also believe things should be the way they were some when they first fell in love with the game at some vague point in the past like and so it's weird to me because like I I look back now I remember when like I was in high school and college and King Griffey jr would go to hit, and he'd be wearing his hat backwards and all the people that are now my age uh, who, who are my age who are my days age, age I am now back then were saying oh well, this is terrible Mickey mantle would never do this back in the heyday of baseball and you look at 1961 I mean for crying out loud Roger Maris broke broke uh, Babe Ruth's record, and Yankee Stadium was half full. So, yeah. like, at a certain level, like, you know, I, I th- there's an instant, inherent idea of nostalgia for the past. Now, I think that what baseball really needs to do is to continue to concentrate on young fans and try to emphasize that. The problem is, when they do that, all of these old fans, who are also complaining that baseball's not as good as they were when they were a kid, wait, you can't change that. Stop trying to the game to try to make these young people like it. So I feel like baseball gets kind of stuck in a way that like football or the NBA doesn't. The NBA and the NFL are constantly changing rules all the time and nobody cares. Nobody, nobody looks back at the NBA and says, wow, when George Miken played, the league was so much better. Like no one looks no one says that. And I think there's I think part of that is people expect so much from baseball. They expect baseball to be the way it was when they fell in love with it, but so and they want it to constantly not change, but also to constantly get better. And, and so I think that it gets stuck in this thing. I think there's stuff that baseball needs to work on, but also again, when I was in high school, everyone kept telling me, "I no was watching baseball anymore." It's not very popular, it's not a very big thing, and I'm sure that was happening when my parents were in high school. This is what baseball is. People complain about baseball because they love it or have loved it at one point in their life. And so it's a tough spot for baseball, but I also understand that uh, uh, there's, it's literally impossible to please everyone.
1: And you're a diehard Cardinal fan, right?
0: Yes, correct. And correct, so
1: correct. when did you first fall in love with the Cardinals?
0: Yeah, it was those 80s teams. I was about seven or eight years Ozzie old. Ozzy Smith. Ozzy Smith yeah. and Willie McGee. And again, this is another key thing, right? Like, I feel like this is part of not just being a baseball fan, but it's just being a person, a writer, a person, like – I love that style of baseball. Like, I, that's how I, that's how I fell in love with baseball with, with Ozzie Smith making diving plays and Vince Coleman stealing 130 bases, and William McGee hitting triples into the gap and just, just this, uh, this fast baseball or what, Whitey Herzog, Whitey ball and all that. And I fell up, grew up loving that, but like, that does not mean that like that is the actual best way to play baseball or that's what it should be now. And I think people do get kind of stuck in that mindset. Well, but you have to constantly be growing and constantly looking for new things. There are things that baseball needs to fix. I don't think there's any question about that. But this idea that like I mean it, this, this, like that those teams I love baseball, but I don't know if baseball is actually supposed to be like that. You go back and look at it now, and it's like wait, those guys weren't getting on base at all. Like a team like those guys were throwing. So on like 83 mile an hour fastballs like the game has changed in a dramatic way and so there are adjustments that need to be made but uh, uh, for me you know it's it, it it's, baseballs in kind of a weird transition point but I do not think it, I think a tra- it's a difference between a transition point and like an obvious downward slope uh, I and mean, I, I don't think it's there.
1: The terrific columnist, uh, writer, contributing editor across the board. Go follow him. Go get him at William F. Leach on Twitter. The new book, it's a novel, and it's terrific. How lucky. Major bookstores, Amazon.com, uh, and anywhere really online books are sold uh, covering Major League Baseball and contributing to the New York Magazine and all sorts of different things. The founder of Deadspin as well. Uh, Will, this was a treat for me. I, like I said to you uh, before the interview, I've been a big fan. I've been reading you. Uh, and listening to you for a long, long time, and uh, when the email popped up that I had an opportunity to bring you on the podcast, I was—I jumped right at it. And uh, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much.
0: Please, it's my pleasure. Good luck with everything, and uh, and uh, and have a great summer. I really believe this summer is going to be wonderful, and I want everyone to enjoy it. I'm sure we'll find plenty to complain about, but like it's been a long like baseball. Year. <laughs> yes, yeah, the, the, it's been a long year. Let's all try to enjoy ourselves this summer. Let's go ahead and have some fun.
1: The ML Sports Platter, all over the major platforms, were brought to you by Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare, Rosie's Corner, the Vince Consulting Group, and Welch and Company Jewelers. Log on to welchjewelers.com today. That's welchjewelers.com. Shop the showcase at welchjewelers.com. They've got unbelievable choices, wedding rings, engagement rings, necklaces, bracelets, and more watches, you name it. They have it all, of course, Welch & Company Jewelers is a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. Also, wanted to quickly say thank you to the Swan & Whitaker families for their support of the platter as well. Will Leach, how good was that? I mean, I've been following him for so long. I miss him on the morning lineup with Richard Justice and Anthony Kastrovitz. That podcast is no more. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what. When you're the founding editor of the uh, Gawker Media, former sports blog Deadspin, uh, and I think in the beginning of the interview, uh, or in the beginning of the podcast, I actually had explained that um, wrong, but uh, just found a deadspin and he's just absolutely amazing. So, um, really, really good stuff to have him on there. And of course, he contributor to Major League Baseball, New York Magazine, and five books he has now authored. Go get them all, including his most recent one. How lucky. Mike Lindsley with UML Sports Platter. Again, thanks for listening. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review where you get podcasts on your smartphone device. As I always tell you, enjoy the games.
0: As a social worker,
1: you can become an advocate for those who can't. Earn your master's in social work degree
0: online to learn strategies
1: to connect diverse populations with the critical resources they need to improve their well-being, whether it's in a hospital, community service agency, or another
0: setting. What do you think making a difference as a social worker looks like? GCU offers over 240 high-quality online programs like this one. Find your purpose
1: at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.